Thanks, Michelle. As we've been uh, looking at the Gospel of Luke for the past several weeks and will for the next probably month and a half, uh, we've been confronted time and time again with the question really that Luke wants us to ask and Luke really wants us to wrestle with, and that is the question of who is Jesus? We've seen that there really is no more profound question that we could ask ourselves in our hearts and in our lives than who was this person, Jesus Christ? And what you'll find as we look through Luke time and time again is that Luke presents to us the answer that Jesus himself is God's Son, who came to spread and to accomplish his message of salvation. The passage that Michelle just read to us is actually one of the first public things that Jesus did in his ministry. And from right off the bat, Jesus is beginning to answer the question of who he is right from the very beginning, and that is that he is God's son, he is the long-awaited one, and almost Instantly, after he begins to explain who he is, he experiences intense and heated rejection. And one of the things that we're reminded of that we discussed uh, at the very beginning is that really how we answer that question of who Jesus, there, there is no middle ground. As much as we'd like to think it is, as much as we'd like to admire certain aspects of Jesus and leave some behind, Luke doesn't allow us to do it. Either we accept Jesus as Lord, and that changes everything, or we have to brand him as a lunatic. There is no middle ground whatsoever. But the truth is, Jesus almost instantly experiences rejection once he begins his public ministry. And each and every one of us know what it's like to feel rejection. Uh, It is part of the human experience to suffer and experience rejection in all sorts of forms, big and little. We all, as parents, like to shield our kids from rejection, but at some point in their lives, they're going to realize that they are not the greatest thing on the planet. And they're going to experience some sort of rejection, and we're going to have, as parents, to have to help them through that, because we've experienced rejection too, and we know how painful and we know how hard sometimes that is. As I thought about it this week and I thought about the idea of rejection, I was immediately transformed back into my 17-year-old self. And I thought about a time where uh, I um, had uh, some, some aspirations to ask a girl out on a date, right? But I wanted to find the right opportunity to ask this, this girl out on the date. And it took a lot of courage because she was a little bit older than me and it was kind of a reach, you know what I mean? Uh, and, but I wanted to give it a try. So I, I thought about what would be the greatest opportunity to really, you know, do this. So I, I noticed that our high school was having a, a hayride and a bonfire, and I thought to myself, what better way than over a bonfire under the stars to ask this girl to go out on a date with me? So sure enough, the night comes, and I get up all the courage to ask her out on a date, and uh, I pick the right words, and I've rehearsed them perfectly, and I say exactly what I ought to say, And she smiles and politely declines my invitation. Uh, I can remember, and it's so funny that I remember this, because this specific one, because high school was full of rejection for me, but uh, this one in particular, for whatever reason, stuck with me, and I don't know exactly why, but I can remember afterwards just being so overcome with sadness. I consider myself to be a really kind of even-keeled person who doesn't get real high and low and all that sort of stuff. But for whatever reason, when she rejected me, uh, I was overcome. 
And I think as I look back now at my own hormonal 17-year-old self, I realize that it wasn't so much the fact that she had rejected me or that presenting issue. It was more that for whatever reason, that 17-year-old was just afraid at some point in his life he would never actually be accepted. That this was just going to be one instance in a pattern of rejection that I was going to have to feel for the rest of my life. Because the truth is, at that moment, I deeply desired acceptance in whatever form. And almost at the very same time, I feared rejection. And I think those two really have to go hand in hand. That each and every one of us have a sincere and deep desire to be accepted and approved. But also a deep-seated fear of rejection. And a fear that we will be constantly rejected. We desire to be accepted by our parents. We desire to be accepted by our social peers. We desire to be accepted by our spouse. We desire to be accepted by a boss or an employer or a potential climate. And it actually affects how we behave. It affects the way we conduct ourselves. It affects the way we dress. It affects the way we talk and the way we act. And all alongside of it is a deep and profound fear of rejection. One comedian uh, famously joked, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he famously joked that um, when you look at the list of things that people fear, uh, the fear of death is second, but the fear of public speaking is first. And he joked that people fear more speaking in public than they do death itself. Why? Because deep down, we are all fearful of rejection. We are all fearful of that people will not accept us. And those of us that tend to be extremely captured by those fears tend to be intense sort of kind of people pleasers. One of the things that I really love about Baltimore is um, Baltimore kind of, if you've been here for a long time, Baltimore has a, has a real cultural kind of moxie to it. Uh, if you've been around. We kind of have this cultural swagger to ourselves. We don't need any other city. We're the best city. We don't need anybody else. And everybody can count on us. And if they count us out, we will overcome it. We will be, you know, we will kind of put ourselves out there and do whatever it is. And that's one of the things I love about Baltimore. But when you think about the city, what was probably one of the most painful experiences even in the city? I forget the year, but it was in the early 1980s when the Baltimore Colts shipped up in a couple of tractor trailers and left for Indianapolis. I talked to people that still tear up about the loss of a football team. And why? Because as a city, we felt a cultural sort of rejection. And all of that comes from a deep-seated sense of a deep a deep-seated sense and a deep desire to be accepted as people. You know, all sorts of extensive research has been done about um, college students and particularly Christian college students who end up going away to college and end up abandoning the faith. The statistics for uh, Christian students who maintain their faith throughout college is actually not a very good one. Uh, And and part of it is is why we believe that college ministry is, is really so important. But, but think about why that may happen. A lot of students, when they get up and they move away and they go to a different school, they don't know anybody anymore. They're outside of the familiarity of their church, of their friendship group, of their uh, family, of their peers, of their church, whatever it might be, and they don't know anyone. 
And all of a sudden, this deep kind of desire to connect relationally with people begins to take over. This great desire of being accepted and cared for and brought into some sort of group and feeling like they have their place all of a sudden takes over. And for a lot of students, uh, it, it, that fear takes over and causes them to compromise who they are and what they've been thus far just because they so deeply desire to be accepted as people. And all of us understand what that feels like. It reminds us that these desires and, peers, and, and fears are so powerful that they can sometimes take over our entire passions and convictions in order to just satisfy Him. We all know what that feels like. You see, Luke wants us to see that when Jesus started His ministry, it was under this sort of cloud of rejection. The very thing that we fear, Jesus started His ministry under this cloud of rejection. And if you fast forward to the end of Christ's earthly ministry, about three years later, you know that there was rejection there as well. What Luke wants us to see is that Jesus' ministry from start to finish was defined by this thing called rejection. Luke chapter 4, the one that we just read, recounts an event in which Jesus returns to his hometown. It was, a pra- it was his practice to uh, attend synagogue in his hometown for worship, and Jesus did that. It was practiced that when he attended, that often people would stand up and read a passage of scripture and then try to speak about that scripture, try to explain it to individuals. Jesus reads a passage uh, from Isaiah 61, and then he paraphrases another passage from Isaiah 58. And what we know from the book of Isaiah is it was written by the prophet Isaiah, And it contains some of the most vivid images and pictures of the the long-awaited Messiah that the people of Israel were pining for and desiring for throughout centuries and centuries and centuries. And the book of Isaiah contains all these prophetic pictures and images of what that prophet will look like, of who that Messiah will be and what he will do. And the fact that he will come to make right all the things that have gone wrong In this world. Well, Jesus stands up in the midst of this synagogue uh, setting. He begins to read these words from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58. And it says, after he was done reading, he rolled up the scroll and he sat down and he began to say to 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 everybody that was in attendance there, essentially this, I am the fulfillment of what I just read. I am the long-awaited Messiah who has come to fulfill these beautiful words in the prophet of Isaiah. And 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 the passage records that initially the crowd was marveled at what Jesus was saying. But very quickly, that marvel turned to rage. And they violently grabbed him, and they drove him out of the synagogue, and they drove him to a cliff... And they were ready to push him off of this cliff and end end his life at that moment. But it says that Jesus quietly slipped through their presence. And And the scriptures tell us he did that because his time to give his life was not, had not yet arrived. You know, we read this story and we think the real villain of the story 
tends to be kind of the, the religious intellectuals, the religious elite that wanted to grab Jesus and, and tear him apart and, and kill him on the spot. They were those that throughout his career tended to reject him most. It's really interesting that if you read the Gospels, the people that most opposed and rejected Jesus throughout his public ministry and throughout his life were not the irreligious, were not the immoral, they were the irreligious. It was the religious ones, the church growers, the Bible readers, the prayers. It was the religious that wanted to end him. It was the sinners, the irreligious, the immoral that loved him and were drawn to him. And in this story, the religious grab him. They're revolted by him. They want to end his life and his ministry on the spot. Now, I remember one time, and we, and we tend to want to condemn them for it. But I remember one time when I was in, in graduate school, I took a course on uh, uh, the New Testament. And what the, the professor that taught this course specifically said to us, he said, I'm going to make you think like a religious person in Jesus' day. He had us read all sorts of kind of original Jewish texts and things like this. And at the very end of the course, we were all confronted with the truth that if we were there, if we were the religious in Jesus' day, we would have been one of the first to grab a stone to end his life. We would have rejected him too. But Christ's rejection went even deeper than that. It wasn't just the religious that wanted to end him, but this was his hometown. Those people that were in the synagogue with him were his closest friends. They were the ones he had grown up with. They were the ones he'd played on the playground with. These were the kids he hung out with. These were the people that had gone to church, that had gone to synagogue with him his whole life. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus is announcing in their presence, Joseph's son, the carpenter, that he is actually the Messiah. You can imagine their shock when they had heard this. And we have to put ourselves in their shoes. If we were sitting there that day, would we have rejected him too? And the truth is that I have to come to, and the truth is that we all have to come to, the chances are I would, and so would you. We all most likely in that moment would have rejected Christ and who he said he was. Because the truth is, practically, day in and day out, you and I reject him constantly. Because the scriptures tell us that our sin is actually an expression of our rejection of Jesus every day. Every time you and I sin, every time we do anything contrary to God's will, we reject him and his will and his design for our lives. We choose to go our own way. We choose to be our own gods. And because of that, the scriptures say we become profoundly broken. That we become the spiritual poor who need good news. We become the captives who need to be set free. We become the blind who need sight. We become the, the oppressed who need liberty. And Jesus knew that we needed all those things to be accomplished for us. And in order for him to do that, he would have to walk the path of rejection. He could not live for the praise and acceptance of men. Instead, he had to live and walk a path of rejection. You know, as, as you and I deal just practically with the reality of, of acceptance and rejection, we sometimes have to think about what's going to sustain us in those moments. What's going to sustain us in those moments where we are um, rejected by our boss or rejected by our spouse or rejected by our friends? 
when we have this deep desire of acceptance and that desire is not met? How are we going to handle, how are we going to deal with that when that situation comes? That's a really profound and powerful question. And sometimes I've looked at the scriptures and I've thought Jesus had, had three years of just profound and intense rejection. And how did he handle it? I think part of the answer is his intimate link with the Father. What the scriptures tell us is that, that Jesus was God's son and he had an intimate relationship with God the Father. In fact, very often Jesus would steal off in quiet moments and quiet places and connect in with the Father. And I think it's only through that intimate relationship that he'd had with the Father that, that was able to help him to bear up under the, the lack of acceptance, that helped him to bear up against the intense rejection, intense, intense rejection so much so that people wanted to kill him from the very start of his ministry. Because from all eternity, Christ had been in perfect fellowship with the Father. And he experienced that perfect fellowship day in and day out. Now, I think when many people think about the life of Christ, they think that his greatest affliction was, was, was suffered at the cross. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's a lot of truth that though Christ's life was a pattern of rejection time and, and time again, you can see kind of at the very end of his life the climax of that rejection. And most people think that the most difficult thing that Jesus had to bear throughout his life and ministry was the crucifixion. And probably from a very physical standpoint, that's very true. But I think ultimately the greatest pain that Christ felt, the greatest rejection that he had to suffer, did not come from man. It did not come from the religious elite. It did not come from any human source. It actually came from his Father in heaven, who he'd experienced an eternity of intimacy with. You see, what the scriptures tell us is that because Christ bore our sin and because he bore our iniquity and our infirmities and our frailties, it says in the moment of his execution that God the Father turned his back on his son. And I believe that this was actually the greatest pain that Christ felt in his ministry. He'd experienced perfect fellowship with God the Father, perfect acceptance, perfect approval from God his Father for his entire life and for all eternity past. And all of a sudden, for the first time, his Father was turning his back on his Son and no longer approving of him and no longer accepting of him because he was covered in our sin and our rebellion, our infirmities, in our inadequacies. One of the greatest hymn writers says this, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. His wounds have paid my ransom. See, the gospel tells us that Christ suffered not only earthly rejection, but rejection from his very own father so that you and I could be accepted into the family of God. The gospel tells us that because he was rejected, you and I can be accepted. Because of him, we no longer have to be uh, uh, a spiritual outcast. We no longer have to be a spiritual orphan. We no longer have to be disjointed in our relationship with the father. 
but we can be called sons and daughters of the King. Because on Christ's behalf, we've been accepted and approved of because of the Father. You see, I think God knits in each and every one of us just what we said at the beginning. That that desire for approval and that desire for acceptance that each and every one of us has is actually written in our hearts by God himself. It's not a result of sin. It's not a result of the fall. It's actually the way God created and knitted us. It's the way he made us to desire deeply acceptance and approval. But the truth is, the gospel tells us that only in Jesus can our deepest desire for acceptance and approval be satisfied. There's nothing in this world that can actually truly satisfy, no matter how great and beautiful and wonderful it is, there's nothing in this world that can truly satisfy our deep-seated desire for acceptance and approval. And when we truly grasp the gospel and what it says, it begins to dispel our greatest fear, and that is the fear of rejection. You see, by faith in Christ's sacrifice, we are love and we are accepted by Him. We are accepted by the Father whose opinion matters more than any other opinion on this earth. He did this because He so deeply loved us because he so deeply wanted a relationship with us. You know, the truth is, I've been to, um, it's been a crazy week. Actually, in the past seven days, I've been to two different weddings. Both very different, uh, very, uh, very different from one another. I, I could tell you stories about how they're different. But you've all been to weddings before, and you know what weddings are all about. And one of the most beautiful things at, at every wedding, no matter how different they are, is when the bride and groom walk down and they grab hands and they begin to look into one another's eyes and they say, they say they exchange rings and they say vows and all that sort of thing. And uh, one of the things that comes through in vows, if you actually really pay attention to them, is the fact that we vow to love this person more than ourselves. We vow to love them for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. You've heard all this before. Essentially what we are professing to our spouse in those moments in our weddings is that we will accept and love and approve of them no matter what for as long as we both shall live. We're speaking of that deepest desire that each and every one of us have to be loved and accepted and approved by another. And I think marriage is actually one of the most beautiful pictures of that very thing. I actually think it's a God-ordained institution that he has put into our culture in our society to be an expression of actually what we can only truly receive in Jesus Christ. Because the gospel tells us this. The gospel tells us that, that we are the bride of Christ. But in order for us to experience the approval and acceptance that a bride feels... Christ had to experience the rejection of the Father. And when we experience the love that Christ purchased for us, when we cling in faith to Christ in that gift of grace, it says that we are married to God. It describes our relation to Him as a marriage in which He professes His love for us and we profess our love for Him. And what the Gospel tells us is that that love will never let us go. 
and it satisfies our deepest desires for acceptance and approval. And when perfect love is experienced, it dispels our greatest fears in life. The gospel is before you today as something to cling to that will satisfy your deepest desires and dispel your greatest fears if you just cling to Christ in faith and trust in him with your life.